Welcome to the Compassionate Capitalist Radio Show with host Karen Rands. A compassionate capitalist is someone who invests their money into entrepreneur endeavors to bring innovation to the market and create wealth for all those involved. Karen shares insights and best practices for entrepreneurs to succeed and investors to share in that success without all the risks. And now... Welcome, welcome to the Compassionate Capitalist Podcast. This is Karen Rands, and I am uh, excited to have you tune in today and listen to our topic. Uh, it's something that is, it's a topic that's near and dear to my heart as I have been working on this idea of compassionate capitalism, which is really about, you know, more people getting involved in diversifying their portfolio in order to invest in entrepreneurs. You don't have to be assume all the risk of the time commitment, the money commitment, the emotional commitment of being an entrepreneur with big dreams and goals to succeed. You can be a financial backer of an entrepreneur that and what and the and the vision that they have and the passion that they have for their business by being an investor in it. Yes, it is risky and you have a chance to lose your money, but it's just, it's money that can be made again. You know, it's it money's precious, but time is also precious. And so uh, many years ago, I had first discovered this idea of self-directed IRAs as a means to unlock a retirement account to be able to, you know, put it to work in other things that, you know, are more diverse and alternative and, you know, that you may or may not be able to invest in um, through a traditional IRA. Most time, rarely can you invest in some of the things we're going to talk about today. And so, you know, they've all, they've self-directed IRAs and whether uh, a traditional IRA or a Roth IRA, they have long been used as a means to put retirement funds to work, creating greater yield for investing in real estate. And also precious minerals and some of these other kind of things. You know, the earnings that you get, if it's something that's got a reoccurring revenue stream in real estate, it would might be rents. In, um, in private equity or in angel investing, it might be royalty or revenue financing where they're paying you a percentage of the revenue until something's been paid back. Or capital gains, like in real estate, it's selling it, flipping that property, and angel investing, it's when they have their liquidity event of exiting the company through acquisition or through an IPO. And so that money goes back into that fund, and it's taxed in the same way of whatever the structure of the fund is, which we're going to get into more detail here in a few minutes. But it's just really not common knowledge that it's possible for investing in startups and even growth stage companies offering shares in exchange for this kind of investment capital. And it's uh, it's it's one of the secrets that I talk about in my book, Inside Secrets to Angel Investing. So my guest today is Patrick Hagen. He is the National Director of Business Development for the Strata Trust Company, one of the leading companies um, for as a self-directed IRA custodian that specializes in holding alternative assets for IRA and 401k account holders. Patrick has 16 years of experience in the self-directed IRA industry and has worked with thousands of self-directed IRA clients. He's extremely well-versed in self-directed retirement plans and enjoys using his extensive hands-on experience in the field to help investors understand their retirement plan investment options and the corresponding IRC rules and regulations. He works with all types of self-directed IRA investors. However, his primary focus is working within the private placement space. 
He works closely with a network of private equity firms, attorneys, and private placement investors. He's taught continuing educations and given live presentations to investors, CPAs, attorneys, and financial planners throughout the country. He works with all types of, of investors, as I said, and so and educates them. And really, part of being on this show is to further our, our shared goals in, in, in educating those potential investors out there that have not heard about this because of the nature of their, where they get their, their financial planning and wealth planning and the decisions that those organizations have made about discussing these kinds of options with their, their clients. And so without further ado, let me welcome to the show. Hello, Patrick. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us today and your knowledge. Hi, Karen. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. So um, 16 years, that's a long time to be in this space. Uh, talk a little bit about why you're passionate about self-directed IRAs and, and you know, sort of your um, – have if you, if you seen things change and what's it like right now to be a part of this? Because I think the Jobs Act, you would think there would be a lot more um, activity with people wanting to know how to unlock their illiquid capital. Yeah, absolutely. The industry has definitely changed. I just kind of stumbled into the industry. Uh, it was one of my first jobs out of college, and I've been now doing it for uh, 15, 16 years, and I really enjoy what I do. But I'm also really excited about where the industry is going. I think as more people become aware of the fact that they can take their retirement money and put it into alternative investments, the industry in the space is going to continue to grow. And I think every company that's active in the space is going to grow, kind of ride with, rise with the tide. Uh, but I do think that uh, with the industry becoming more polarized in the sense that brokerage firms institutionally have elected not to hold this type of asset, it creates a void and a space that we can kind of plug into and be a custodian specifically to hold alternatives like real estate, private equity, and precious metals. And for me, as somebody that's in the space doing business development with the experience and the background that I have, it is exciting. I'm very intentional about the industry I work in. I'm very excited about the industry I work in. And I think as this, as I mentioned, becomes more commonplace, uh, I, I think it's really going to take off. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's one of the things I talk about in the book, Inside Secrets to Angel Investing, is um, comparing it a lot to real estate investing. And as a cottage industry, real estate investing really didn't get Go. I mean, now it's probably 40 years, but I use I use the term 30 years a lot of times. But you know, where it became this thing that a lot of people strive to figure out how to get invest in real estate as part of their portfolio or their income creation strategy, and it was a change in tax laws. There's a change in access to capital in how banks would lend money on investment property that wasn't your primary residence, so you got access to capital. And, you know, and, and kind of how you did your taxes on those other, those income producing properties. And I would guess, and you probably know, cause you've been in it that long, you know, we're Roth IRAs and the shift, cause I know there's not to get on this topic within this, but there was a, you know, there was a big shift when, with 401ks changed from being, you know, really very owned and controlled and managed by court companies you know, and it was a big shift in that probably back in the 70s and 80s, I'm guessing. 
maybe it was starting to shift that way. Is that when Roth IRAs and self-directed IRAs became a, a legal new entity for people to invest that weren't just through 401ks? Yeah, well, individual retirement accounts, a traditional IRA that started in 1974 and kind of came on the scene in 1975. Okay. The Roth okay. IRA is a little bit uh, younger. It was around 98 that the Roth IRA came in the picture. Okay. The standard pre-tax traditional IRA has been around for over 40 years now. The Roth IRA a little bit less than that. But the idea of controlling the money and putting it into alternative investments, that's always been an option. Uh, it's not a new concept or any kind of new passage of legislation. It's just a matter of awareness. I don't think the average investor has ever been told they can buy private equity, real estate, mineral rights, uh, precious metals, private debt, the things that our clients do. And so right. as that starts to change, people become more aware. Um, I do think they'll start looking at all of their investment options and not just the publicly traded equities, but also the alternative assets. Absolutely. Yep. And uh, it's definitely a common goal that you and I have on this to uh, to you know educate those folks, right? Because that's, for me, when I realized how much p- uh, pent-up capital there was out there in these you know, I call them big fat 401ks with people that have been in corporate jobs for 10, 15, 20 years, and they've been contributing to their 401k. When I first joined IBM, one of the older, you know, reps on the team said the very first thing he said to me, you know, and I was straight out of MBA school, make sure you put your maximum amount out of your, your, your paycheck every month into IBM's 401k. You won't miss it. It'll be sight unseen, and you'll be thankful later on as that grows and accumulates and and whatnot. And I, you know, I took him for his word, and it's true, right? And so there's people out there that have a lot of this, and they, yeah, I think you used a, a term that I hadn't really thought of before. We've talked about it, unlocking. But in reality, if somebody's in their 40s and they've been working 15 years and they've built up and stuff. Well, they're not really going to be able to take. They want. They they start to think about. And I've seen. I've been to financial planning things where they talk about your long-term investments, your short-term investments. They have this kind of quadrant that they work through, you know, for balancing a portfolio. And you know, they're not going to be able to touch that money for twenty, twenty-five years until they're retired. And then you know, so they start thinking, well, I'm not going to put as much into that. I'm going to start putting it into something else. And what you're offering is a way for them to really unlock some of that capital that they can't touch for 25 years and go ahead and have it. So they can still contribute their same amount they were contributing, but they can now have a, a chunk of it that they can put into these alternative investments. Yeah, that's exactly right. And what that provides for within the retirement plan is true diversification. I mean, every financial advisor will talk about diversifying your portfolio, but most brokerage firms only have the capability of putting it in stock and stock-related investments, so stocks, bonds, mutual funds, ETS, et cetera. But what a lot of our clients are doing is capturing some of that money that's in their retirement account already and putting it into non-correlated alternative investments, so a piece of real estate that cash flows or maybe an investment in a venture capital private equity investment, or even some precious metals, it, it is going to be different. It's going to be non-correlated. It's going to be alternative. And so a lot of times our clients are very open to doing that. Uh, typically when our phone rings, the clients already decided that they want to do that. It's just a matter of finding the right firm to partner with to facilitate it. So we try to be a voice out there to let people know that 
you have a lot of investment options. Uh, we're not a fiduciary. We don't tell people what to do or give financial or investment advice. But if somebody has a desire to do something, what do you call it, alternative, non-traditional, whatever the term is that you use, but something different, uh, there's a lot of flexibility inside of retirement accounts. It's not just publicly traded equities. You can do all kinds of different things, including real estate and other things of that sort. So, yeah, so we're kind of coming up on a halfway mark, so I want to take just a second to, to encourage people, if you want to get read more about this, don't just Google it. You can go to stratatrust.com, and they have a tab there under Resource Center, and then they have a tab at White Papers. And they have white papers for individuals and for professionals that um, that talk about each of the different types of uh, asset classes and all kinds of you know good content that they've put out there. So that's strata s t r a t a trust dot com, and you can get that information. And I encourage you to do that if you're um, if this is something that you're listening because it's obviously interested to interesting to you. So. Patrick, let's get into some of the nuts and bolts of this because if it's if if it's new to people and it's something that I've had many conversations with people over the years and and as we talked earlier, there's still I get confused on this stuff. So, um, so talk about the tax implications of taking out uh, money out of your four hundred one k and sort of like how difficult is it to do that and sort of you know just sort of like. When you, when somebody decides, an investor decides that yes, I want to start diversifying this way, what kind of steps do they go through, and what should they expect? Yeah, absolutely. So the process is generally pretty simple. It's a matter of you know finding a self-directed IRA custodian like Strata Trust, and then working to get those existing retirement dollars moved over to the self-directed IRA and then put out into the investment. Uh, as far as getting the funds over to us, that's either going to be a direct rollover out of a qualified plan, or it's going to be an IRA to IRA, trustee to trustee transfer, if you're moving from one IRA to another IRA. Generally speaking, there are no tax implications for moving money from one retirement plan to another retirement plan. If it's a direct rollover, that's a non-taxable event, and a trustee to trustee transfer is also a non-taxable event. And so it's not uh, going to trigger any kind of tax implications unless the client looks to do something like a Roth conversion, and then that's kind of a different situation. But with most of the clients that call Strata, they already know what they want to do. Uh, They've already decided to make the investment. They're just trying to figure out the mechanics of making it happen. So we have people on staff that answer the phone that basically walk them through the three-step process of setting up an individual retirement account with Strata Trust, which would be a self-directed IRA, moving the money from the 401K or the IRA, wherever it sits currently, over to us, and then at their direction, putting it out into the investment of their choice. The time frame on that varies because we never know how long it's going to take to get money moved from the current firm to us. But on average, you're looking at about five to seven business days, and uh, so all in about a week and a half to two weeks in real time. And it's really fundamentally pretty simple. I mean, this idea of self-direction tends to be a little bit abstract. People have heard about it, but they don't understand how it works. When you boil it down, it's a very simple process of setting up an account, funding the account, directing the investment. And I think it's key as long as you're partnering with a self-directed IRA firm that's accessible, it really is just that simple. And so we encourage people to call us, you know, go to our website, check out the resources, but also pick up the phone and call us and have a conversation with somebody that does this every day because it is pretty direct, pretty simple, pretty straightforward. Okay. And so 
is there a difference if they're taking their money out of their 401k and they're putting it into a traditional IRA or Roth IRA? Yeah, so if it's coming out of a 401k, in most cases you're talking about pre-tax money. So by default, if it's going to be rolled over to an IRA, it'll go into a traditional IRA. There is the potential, if you elect, to do a conversion from the pre-tax account to an after-tax Roth account. You'll want to speak to your tax advisor before doing a conversion because a conversion is going to trigger a taxable event because you're taking funds that have never been taxed and moving them into an after-tax Roth vehicle. But as long as you're going from that pre-tax 401k or 403b into a pre-tax traditional IRA, it's a non-taxable event. It'll be reportable in that the 401k will issue out a form saying that they sent the money to the IRA, but then the IRA sends out a form indicating that they received it. So it's not a taxable event. You're just shifting it from a qualified plan to an individual retirement account. And this happens all the time. We have a lot of people that roll out of 401ks. As you indicated earlier, I talked to a lot of people that have 401ks from old jobs that are just sitting out there. They haven't looked at it in the last couple of years, and they realize, oh, yeah, I have this money that could be used to make these investments that I would like to make. So I would encourage people to consider all of your retirement funds, where they're sitting currently, and look at what you want to do with that money, not only publicly traded investments, but also things like alternatives through Strata. And so it's a non-reportable, pretty simple, straightforward process, either a rollover or a transfer. And time frame there, you're looking at about a week to a week and a half, maybe two weeks on the long end if it's a little bit delayed in getting to us. But uh, it's pretty straightforward, pretty seamless, and we do this thousands of times a year, uh, a year with uh, all kinds of different clients and all kinds of different alternative investments. Okay, so um, there was uh, – so if, if – I know that when it comes to using these type of uh, self-directed IRAs in real estate, you're not allowed to invest in a property that is non-income producing, meaning that you're not buying it for a family member that's going to live there, right? It has to be an income producing type of property. That's right. And yeah. so there are certain rules is, the IRS put in place to keep you from personally benefiting from the IRA investment. So you're exactly correct. If it's going to be a rental property, you're going to lease it to someone who's not a direct lineal relative. It needs to be an investment held for investment purposes. It's not meant to be a second home or a vacation home for your family, or even like a house that your daughter or your son is going to live in. It's strictly an investment held for investment purposes if you're holding it inside of the IRA. And so does that apply for people starting businesses? Can they, they've exited a company, they want to roll that over, can they invest in their own business? That's a great question. Uh, In most cases, no, they would not be able to invest in a business that they personally own and control the majority ownership in. Uh, There are rules that come out of the IRS code. It's section 4975 of uh, publication 590, Basically, what it says in simple terms is if you're going to invest in a privately held stock offering or privately held company, you either need to be less than 50% owner if you're not an officer, or if you're an officer or director of the company, you need to be less than 10% owner in that really? same company. So it's not meant for your IRA to fund your startup business. It's more for passive investors uh, that want to invest in entrepreneurs that are doing startup-related activity that want to put their money more passively into companies that they don't personally own or control. So that is something that we can speak to if a client has questions. Ultimately, they're going to want to speak to a tax advisor if they're kind of in that gray area. 
But for the most part, we have the resources to point them to the code to say, in general terms, this works or this does not work, and here's why. Okay, so and one of the things that we talk to and promote um, as for people that are just getting started as angel investing, it's something kind of new to them. They're not sure they want to hold their money in place for five, seven years till they get an exit on that. Do they um, – and so we talk about invest local. So you be kind of become a – and it's also something I cover in the book that you kind of become a private lender to entrepreneurs where they can't get the money from the bank. You become the person that – you know, uh, provides the cash for the escrow for a purchase order financing for an order or somebody is uh, whatever it is. You're just loaning money that's got an eight, a, a either a six month, you know, some kind of a return on that. So where they pay back, right? Can you loan money out of a self-directed IRA or does it have to be equity ownership of a company and full equity ownership of a property, so to speak? Yeah, we see both. Uh, we see private equity where you're going in as a shareholder in a new company, and we also see uh, convertible debt where it's a uh, note that may later be converted to equity at some point down the line. It's kind of just raising capital through debt instead of equity. We also see private loans where you know an individual will lend money to uh, another individual or to a corporation, and they're using their IRA, as you indicated, kind of as a lender, like a bank. Uh, we do see that from time to time. It's not quite as common as the private equity, but we do see it. Uh, as long as you're making an investment for investment purposes and you're not transacting business with any direct lineal relative or yourself, it's probably going to be a doable transaction for an IRA to take part in. So yeah. as you indicated, a lot of our clients, they know what they want to do. They're passionate about what they're looking to do. Sometimes it's uh, almost like an impact type investment where they want to get involved in something that they know and understand, maybe can see and touch, you know, if it's a local company they can see where their IRA dollars are invested. If it's a real estate investment, they can see the physical structure that their IRA owns. Sometimes people just like that. There's nothing wrong with holding mutual funds, but mutual funds are somewhat abstract because they're diversified into a bunch of things you can't necessarily see and touch. And so a lot of our clients like that tangible element of the self-directed IRA, and some of them like the feel-good element of knowing that maybe they're funding a local startup business or something that they believe in that could impact their community. Yes, very good. Okay, so when it comes to, you know, some potential gotchas that you need to be aware of if you're doing this or getting ready to do this and things that you're looking at for investing, um, and so I want to talk about sort of tax implications. So if you're – if we, we've already covered that if you're – everything's copacetic, it's not for personal benefit, um, any income that comes out or – proceeds that come out of that um, uh, that investment through this self-directed IRA is going to go back and it's going to be treated tax-wise depending on how the structure of that is. But in this situation, because I have investors that I've worked with where they're very specific about when they're investing through an LLC to not have any kind of what they call phantom taxes or, you know, ghost taxes or something like that. And um, I think, and you had a term that you used on that, but also, when there's a capital, when there's a loss, you know, you can take a capital loss as a deduction on your taxes when you go straight outright and you, you know, you're just doing your own money, not through a retirement thing, and you get a capital loss, you know, it becomes a deduction. So speak to how that is addressed or what people, investor potentials needs to be aware of when they're starting to make these types of investments. And if, 
if it's something that through the service of your do y'all do you guys look at the actual structure or offering document of that to make sure it doesn't have any of those potential risks of them being obligated to pay some kind of tax or additional penalty out of or out of their um the self-directed ira yeah, so there, there's kind of two things there, so I'll kind of un- unpack them individually. The first thing is, you know, in, if you're making an investment, the investment does not perform well, uh, would you be able to take a loss as you would personally? The answer to that would be no. Inside of your IRA, you have this tax-deferred bubble. You're not paying any taxes on the gain if it goes up, but unfortunately, if it goes down, it just reduces the value of your IRA. It's no different than holding an index fund in 2008, 2009, when the market went down, it just depletes the value of the IRA. And then hopefully you can, you know, recover over time. Uh, To your point about the phantom tax, there is what's called um, unrelated business income tax. So it depends on the structure of the investment and how that uh, investment is handling their tax uh, responsibility. So if you're investing in a private C-Corp, in general, the C-Corp is going to pay tax at the corporate level. So there's got, not going to be anything passed through to the individual retirement account that's holding stock in that C-Corp. If it's an investment into a company that's an operating business, so if you're buying in a, you know, a local coffee shop in your uh, small town and you're going to own 15% of that local coffee shop and the coffee shop structured as a partnership or an LLC with a direct pass-through like a K-1 to the individual investors – there is the potential for what's called unrelated business income tax. The acronym we use is UBIT. And that's something that the client want to speak with their CPA to understand UBIT, all of its implications, when it would be applied, what the tax rate is going to look like, if it's going to be applicable. We can, in some situations, raise the flag and indicate that based on what we see, there is UBIT potential. And then we'll refer the client to speak to their own CPA or tax advisor we won't be consultants in, from a tax perspective because we can't give tax or legal advice, but sometimes we will say, you know, there is a potential of UBIT here. Just acknowledge that before you go into the investments. Uh, but for the most part, a lot of our deals that we see, the private venture capital funds, the private equity deals, the taxes are paid on the corporate level, and so the client's just buying stock in a privately held company. It's treated the same way as they buy stock in a publicly traded company. So UBIT okay. is not going to be applicable on a straight private equity investment and uh, not going to be a concern. But in some situations, depending on the structure, it could be. Yeah, okay. All right, so now you had, um, and I, and it totally made sense to me. I didn't really, hadn't really thought through that that would be a potential sort of like referral source, if you will. You know, I know that when one of the first deals that our, my, when I took over the Angel Investor Group NBA and I here in Atlanta, that we put together, it was a, a company that had a breakthrough process for making uh, latex non-allergenic. And they had a lot of um, doctors that had invested in this. And so they, as a result of those doctors that had these kind of accounts, they had to, they, they had structured it in such a way working with like the language and things like this to make sure that it was okay for them uh, to be able to invest through their, their IRAs. And then we ended up turned out that it's out of the two million that the group put into this organization, probably about a quarter of it, maybe six hundred thousand of it, something like that, came from the investors wanting to move, put their self-directed IRA money to work in this particular deal. And so that, um, so I, I kind of I know that, but I had not really 
and so they so in that particular case the company was working with lots of different you know advisors or or organizations because different com- different investors have that but you have a situation where uh, uh, pri- uh private equity funds venture funds and maybe even angel funds because I know that's something I talk about in my book is that if you don't have the time to do all your due diligence yourself and do all this stuff, then put your money in an angel fund. So that's something that people are using where they're putting their, if they don't want to do a direct investment, they're able to invest in a fund that will make those, those equity investments. Is, and, and that's been a, a kind of a, of a, an opening opportunity for you in your space. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a lot of the, uh, business development activities that I take part in is kind of getting on the radar of the capital raisers, whether it's venture capital, private equity firms, angel funds, whatever, and letting them know that if they have IRA investors, we can provide custodianship for those investments. And what I see a lot of times, kind of what you're alluding to, they'll start off with maybe one or two key people that kind of push them to allow them to use an IRA, and maybe they begrudgingly do it uh, just to make that individual investor happy. But then you realize, okay, there's a lot of money in retirement accounts. I mean, there's trillions of dollars in the retirement plan space, just in IRAs alone. And most of the investors that are investing in these private funds are fairly high net worth accredited investors. Almost all of them have retirement dollars, either IRA or 401k or otherwise. And so once they realize that a light bulb moment goes off and they say, well, maybe I could actually plant that seed with the investors. And what I like seeing is where the capital raisers will kind of do it, they'll explore it, and they realize there's something there. And then they kind of turn into a referral partner because then they're telling everybody about the ability to invest through an IRA. And it's not going to fit every individual's portfolio, but if you don't plant that seed, you don't ever cross that bridge. You never get there and have that opportunity. So what I generally tell people that are raising capital is make sure your investors know that the IRA or the old 401k or any kind of retirement dollars could potentially be put into this type of investment um, because once you plant that seed, you never know who's going to actually take advantage of that. And as you alluded to before, somebody who's maybe not 59 and a half or older, they can't touch that money anyway. So if they're investing in illiquid alternative investment, it's a lot easier to make that investment happen in an account that you can't touch right now than it would be to write a check with personal liquid cash that's going to be mm. tied up for three, five, seven, eight years, whatever. So, yeah, I think uh, that's a, a good thing to kind of a tool in the toolbox, so to speak, for any capital raiser to let their investor know that IRA 401k dollars could be put into their investment. Excellent. All right. So uh, let's, uh, so now it would sound like this kind of activity would be expensive. Um, I mean, I just, cause you know, so talk a little bit about, cause I think your fees are fairly consistent with the industry that it's really not very painful you're got you know dealing with hundreds of thousands of dollars to direct into these um, into this kind of an investment alternative investment is really not that expensive to do it to do it is it? It's really not. It is a little bit different in that because we're not a fiduciary, we're not billing assets under management or anything like that. Our fees are a little more transparent, and some people don't exactly know what they're paying their brokerage firm, and so sometimes their fees are wrapped into what they're doing. And they don't see it on a piece of paper on a fee schedule. So our fees are laid out because we're just charging fees to hold investments for self-directed IRA clients. Uh, To give you an example, our fee, our annual fee for this type of IRA is $250 a year. And then we charge $50 for each private placement holding. 
So if somebody did come on board with, say, $100,000 to make one investment, they're paying us all in $300 a year, which is pretty much in line with our industry. We're lower than most of our competitors, but certainly not the bare-bottom cheapest in the industry, and we don't really want to be. But I think if you compare that to what the average brokerage firm will charge when you look at all of the fees, it's really not any more expensive. In some cases, it's less expensive. But like I said, it is transparent. It's put on a piece of paper right in front of the client, so they see what they're paying you to custody the alternative. But the industry as a whole has done a pretty good job of keeping the fees pretty reasonable to where fees don't tend to be the stumbling block. I think our biggest stumbling block is that, number one, people don't know that we exist, and number two, they've got to figure out where it fits in in their portfolio. But we try to keep our fees to where they're reasonable. Uh, we can still uh, make, make money as a self-directed IRA firm in the space, but to where our annual admin fee is not going to cut in to all the profits of the investment and make it not worth the time and energy for the client. Yeah. Okay. So what? So so as you get ready to wrap up, I want to put put it in a perspective of uh, an entrepreneur. We talked a little bit about this in the beginning, but it's something that I, when I'm coaching um, companies about where to go get seed capital, for example, you mean you deal with friends and family and founders around friends and family. Or when they're in, you know, the the space that I'm focused on now, which is um, growing their um, business, and they're they're already established and they need to grow, but they don't necessarily have all the cash on hand to be able to fuel some of the pay for some of the services they have to pay for in order to structure the company to be able to grow and attract the capital. I always say, you know. When you're talking to investors or potential investors, you're looking for your cheerleaders, the people that believe in it. And if they say, you know, man, I would totally love to invest in your company. I just don't have any cash right now. The thing, the next thing to say is like, well, do you have a self-directed IRA? Do you have a retirement account? There's a way for you to be able to unlock that and put it to work, you know, because you're not going to be able to touch it anyway into this opportunity, whether it's a loaning on a convertible or an equity play or something like that, and be able to make this return that you believe that you would make if you were investing and have it go back into your your IRA. So that's my, my golden nugget for the entrepreneurs out there listening, that you need to uh, educate yourself on this because it will open up doors for you to get access to capital that you may not have access to when you're dealing with traditional angels that you know have a Sort of have their money set aside, you know. And part of what we always talk about too is that, you know, no investor has money just sitting under a mattress. It's someplace. So part of the, the reasons why they delay or stall in making a decision about investing on in something that they act like they're really interested in is because they have to move that money around or they have to wait for some kind of liquidity event at something else. But if you make them aware of their retirement, how their retirement money can be used towards this you can solve that problem and create a win-win. Anything you'd like to add to I that as we agree. to wrap up? Uh, yeah, and I would just uh, second uh, another thought with that. In today's market, I think it's particularly appealing to a lot of investors because, as we all know, the market uh, has had a pretty good bull run here, about a, a decade long. I think a lot of people feel like it's it's a little overheated. Uh, they don't know how much you know it's going to continue to go up. So to be able to capture some of those gains in the publicly equity markets and move it into something alternative, non-correlated in today's environment is appealing. So I would completely second that and just say, if you're raising capital, it doesn't hurt to plant the seed that the IRA or the old 401k is accessible 
to put into your private equity or convertible debt offering. And so see where that goes. But I would say most people have some kind of retirement money and most people unfortunately don't know that they can put it into this type of investment. So they're not going to know unless you tell them. And then, you know, Strata, we're here to basically be a resource. We can't tell people what to do with their money, but we certainly can answer questions about the feasibility of holding this type of asset inside of a retirement plan and make it very simple for the end user to do it. Excellent. Very good. So I want to encourage, again, folks to go to stratatrust.com and uh, look at, you know, check it out, check out their white papers and I guess there's a phone number there. You want to offer up a phone number here so people can grab their pen and write it down without going to the website? Yeah, sure. Uh, I'll, I'll give you two numbers. I'll give you our corporate number and my number if they want to call me direct. Our corporate number, 866-268-9218. That's 866-268-9218. And if anyone has any questions for me direct, I can be reached at 512 7-8, very good, very good. And of course, everybody listening, if you haven't been to KarenRands.co, KarenRands.co to um, to learn about how we work with entrepreneurs and investors and helping investors do due diligence on deals, helping entrepreneurs create strategies to go get the capital that they need based on the stage of their business. Please go there and look at all the information that we have there. Of course, subscribe to the podcast uh, and learn. Go scroll through the list if you're listening to this on iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn and see there's all different kinds of topics. And we do it every Tuesday at uh, 2 o'clock. And um, uh, just encourage you to get involved and get my book. This is something that you want to learn the ins and outs and the fundamentals and the roadmap of becoming somebody that invests in entrepreneurs to, you know, increase your wealth and, uh, I say, create generational wealth. The, the greatest source of wealth and financial independence comes from entrepreneurs. The next greatest source of wealth and independence comes from those that invest in those successful entrepreneurs. And so with that, I want to thank everybody for tuning in and onwards and upwards. Thank you, Patrick. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Karen. I really appreciate it. All righty. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.